When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Football and Grits. It's Monday, which means it's time to talk the SEC. I am your host, David Ubbin, with my co-host, Andy Staples. And we are joined by our uh, prestigious South Carolina writer, Josh you, Kendall. You can say Josh, I feel like you're the voice of Football and Grits, it, if we're being honest. It's all right if you say old. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think no one no one man personifies the spirit of this podcast more than Josh Kendall. I, I always enjoy uh, uh, crossing paths with you. Well, despite the fact that da- David's from Arkansas and mm-hmm. I was born where you are, Josh, in South Carolina, you're the only one of us with an accent. Yeah. Everybody says I have an accent. I just don't hear it, but I'll I'll try, I'll take y'all's word for it. <laughs> I never heard I never heard in my relatives' accents either. Yeah, be, yeah. people be like, "Oh, the ones who talk country." I'm like, "No, they just yeah. sound like them." <laughs> well, Josh, we got to talk about another famous Southerner who doesn't have an accent, Mr. Greg Sankey. Uh, you were able to sit down with him recently and talk about. Uh, uh, he's drawing some 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 parallels, I suppose, to uh, uh, the overlord of college football at this point um and emperor palpatine memes yeah there's some emperor palpatine vibes he has better skincare if we're being uh, if we're being real but uh i mean the force lightning was what caused the wrinkles david yeah i think the force lightning is what uh uh got two uh, sec teams into the national championship a few years ago um but uh, uh you know it's it's uh he's living an interesting existence i think you know, I, I was he, he did some very loud complaining, uh, some warranted complaining about Mark Emmert. Uh, I think over the last year, especially with the way that they handled COVID, there's a lot of uh, consternation, I suppose, about large big picture governance across college sports. I don't think that I recognize that maybe he could possibly slip into that role himself <laughs> as the SEC becomes more and more powerful. Um, but you guys, you spent some time with him, talked one-on-one about the Texas and Oklahoma coup, and, and you wrote a story about that. Before we get too far into it, what was your major takeaway from that conversation? Well, the biggest headline that came out of it was his very elegant um, kiss-off of Kirk Schultz at Washington State and his predatory (laughs) comments. Mm -hmm. But I think the most substantive thing that he said goes back to what you were saying, um, which is it's pretty clear that Greg Sankey wanted to do everything he could to position the SEC as a potentially standalone unit in a potentially post-NCAA world. He made a comment about it being hard to follow the bouncing ball of the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And if you know Greg Sankey, I mean, that was that was a pretty firm backhand from Greg Sankey to the NCAA to say, we don't know what in the bleep they're doing over there. We're going to, you know, we're going to build a big old fence 
around our thing and we can survive no matter what. And so mm-hmm. when Texas and Oklahoma were on the market, it was a no brainer. Are you yeah, calling think- Greg Sinke a doomsday prepper? <laughs> a very elegant doomsday prepper. Don't forget elegant. But I think in a, in a, I would be in favor of a college sports apocalypse, honestly. The, the current model. Well, you're going to get your way. That's where, that's where we're headed. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it, was it, what does that mean, though? Is that, is that like the roving band of Boise states? Like, well, probably less just wandering the landscape. If we're, if Mad we're going Max down style. The, yeah, yeah, I mean, I if mean, we're talking about the road, I would say less cannibalism overall, but probably still some good football. If you look at what Jeff Schultz did, wrote today about <laughs> Georgia Tech. I mean, yeah, that's they're looking at a Mad Max world where it is every man for himself. Yeah, I think you know, I'm sorry. I, I just should... got David's Cormac McCarthy reference. So let me, <laughs> let me just applaud right now. I'm sorry. It, was a little, it took me a minute. <laughs> no, I think like ultimately I, we should provide a little bit of background because I think these 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 complaints have been bubbling for a long time, but they were never more more uh loud and and sharp as they were in the last year because i don't think i'm not sure casual fans realize so when all this covid stuff is happening in the last year and conferences are trying to figure this stuff out and trying to figure out their own plans and you saw the disjointed season last year the ncaa should have just changed their initials to mia because the sec is meeting Every day, most conferences are meeting every day. A conference yeah, the, fi- call. the five power five commissioners were talking yes. every day, constantly, constant communication, and they'd go a month without hearing anything from the NCAA. And it's like they're dealing with this crisis, both in it's a health crisis. They're dealing with their athletes spread all over the country. They're trying to hope that there's a season. They're, they're getting no answers. And the, they're kind of looking around and saying, isn't this what they should be doing? And I think everyone sort of knew the NCAA was sort of pointless and did not exist for any real reason. And I think the last 2020 really exposed that. And now as you're seeing, you know, sort of some of these autonomy issues and some of these conversations coming up, I think people are realizing, hey, we can do a better job of this. And I feel more confident in myself and, and, and our governance and our organization. And I think that 2020 set the stage for what we're seeing right now to say nothing of the Supreme court decision, the Austin, all that stuff. And, and the, uh, the oncoming uh, tidal wave that's coming in college sports. If I can defend the NCAA, if only briefly, I mean, oh, no. the, the SEC <laughs> and the, and the big 10 and even the PAC 12 and everybody else to a lesser degree, they haven't really wanted the NCAA around in their heart of hearts either. They -hmm. were perfectly fine to run the the thing themselves. And now all of a sudden they're crying foul and like, you guys are no help. And the NCAA could argue, I mean, if if they could find their behind with both (laughs) hands, they could argue (laughs) that you guys created this, this situation and now you just want to pin it all on us. It's not like, Greg Sankey's thinking, oh, no, whatever will we do now that we're out here on our own? Yeah. You're perfectly well, but that, but fine the thing was, no NCAA. The thing was, Greg Sankey came out of all of that a lot better than some of his, his colleagues. You know, I, now, Jim Phillips, who's the, now the commissioner of the ACC, he was an AD at Northwestern, so he wasn't dealing with that. Uh, but Kevin Warren at the Big Ten, he – I would argue just made the wrong. I don't know if he made the wrong decision. He made the decision too quickly and left himself no room to, to, to maneuver. And it really blew up in his face. Yeah. And so you have that. So you had, and and then you have 
the, the Pac-12 just sort of fell in lockstep with the Big Ten. And that's that's what I think is interesting about all this alliance stuff that's coming out. Because you have the, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC are going to form some kind of alliance. And my initial thought when I heard people talking about this was, oh, it's a scheduling alliance. They're going to create better games so everybody makes more money. That's an what an awesome idea. Mm-hmm. And then... And then you hear, oh, no, 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 it's a voting block kind of alliance. And I'm like, <laughs> but what are they voting on? Is it the college football playoff? Because that, that's got to be unanimous. So if the three of them agree on something, it still doesn't matter. And if the SEC says, well, we don't want to do automatic bids for, for all the spots or for most of the spots, then you're not going to. So I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that's going to be. All I can think of is... Same thing you were talking about with Greg Sankey. They're trying to create something for the post-NCAA world. And maybe they want to be voting as a block in that post-NCAA world to help create the new set of rules everybody needs to live by. Mm -hmm. But what I I would wonder about with that, and this is not any fault of the ACC, the Big Ten, or the Pac-12, are you just recreating the NCAA? It's sort of like, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and they were talking about some consultant had come to them and said, well, why don't you do it live and take calls in real time? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you just invented sports talk radio. Great. Yes. OK, so <laughs> are these guys going to get together and try to reinvent the NCAA, which there is a way to do that and a way to do it where it's not what it was and where it won't get just sued into oblivion. But I, I think their concern is the SEC is going to try to take its ball and go somewhere else or or create rules that are right. so lax that all the best players come to the SEC and these other leagues don't get any players. And then all of a sudden teams are going to want to leave those leagues for the SEC or schools Frankly, are. if they're creating anything, they're creating division two. I mean, if we're being honest, that mm-hmm. that, that sounds harsh. But I think what the SEC has done is strike a preemptive blow to carve out the top of the mountain for itself. And if you're going to form an alliance, if, you, if, you're, if you're thinking we're forming our little mini NCAA, you're, you're the B-flight. I'm sorry. But the Big Ten isn't. The Big Ten yeah. is just as powerful as the SEC. I'm telling you right now, because of the timing of the TV contracts, which was Jim Delaney's stroke of genius doing this, the, the shorter TV contracts – the Big Ten, I will bet, will share more money per school than the SEC will even after Texas and Oklahoma come. So this. it's true. So it's not. I mean, it, the ACC, the- this is, I, I told somebody on Twitter this today because they were talking about how the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 were, were fighting for their very existences. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Big Ten is not fighting for its existence. No. The Big Ten it's is just trying pro- to have some, not, have some yeah. have some cronies, I suppose. <laughs> don't don't forget which one's the shark and which ones are the remorse. Yes. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. First of all, I would just like to say that it's Dwight Schrute's fault that anytime I hear the word alliance, I can't help but chuckle. So this whole thing, (laughs) this entire story is very hard for me to take serious, even though it is a very big story. Uh, Kudos to our our intrepid reporters for being all over this. Max Olson, Nicole Auerbach, uh, Andy, I think you've helped out with some of that stuff as well. I'm of no help to anyone. Okay, Andy's not a help. Um, but either way, I, I don't really know, you know, this is an SEC podcast. We should discuss what this means for the SEC. And I think, you know, we were chattering about this a little bit before the show. I mean, the hottest take I think we all have is that the SEC doesn't really know. And I think right now it doesn't really affect them because they're not, they're not at a hinge point where they're going to sharply disagree about something. That's where I think the SEC should be concerned is that if they hit some issue where the SEC wants this and these other three conferences want something else, then if the SEC goes it alone, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, eligibility issues or, or what players can do or how they can make money, that's one thing, but some sort of issue, then I think the SEC may have to figure something out, but I don't know what that might be. But what the SEC has to figure out is doesn't have to be, and frankly, probably won't be contingent on what the other ones figure out. Part of what Greg Sankey and I discussed was the possibility of putting the brakes, somebody trying to put the brakes on the CFP expansion. And Mm -hmm. he, in a very precise and lawyerly answer said, we're not the ones who pushed for this. If they want to do that, that's fine. The SEC, if the SEC is perfectly fine, if you want to stick with four teams into infinity and when you, once Texas and Oklahoma are part of the deal, if the Alliance or whoever else wants to change whatever rules, the SEC will be in a position to say, like it was pre 2020 season, when everybody else said, we're putting a stop on the season. Then the SEC said, okay, great. I hope that works out for you. This is what we're going to do. The SEC has strengthened their ability to set, to continue to say that into forever the acc also said that and that's that's the part i with this alliance part because david you were talking about you don't know what the issue is going to and we don't we don't know what that issue would be where there would ultimately be these three against the sec but i would argue we don't really know what the issues would be where those three would agree because on that very very important topic last year do you try to play football during this pandemic or not Big question. The ACC very much disagreed with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's that's kind of what this is. Is it's you're drawing lines in the sand and you're choosing sides, and then we'll see sort of when you know Mortal Kombat begins, I suppose. Um, and it's just it, this is all like a really interesting preamble to the new age of college sports, and it's hard to forecast what it's going to look like, and and you know, what, what does it take to break up this alliance? Like you, like you said, if not you have much, a situation not much like would that. be my guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's it like, takes, yeah, it, it takes the right that, issue if, that somebody, somebody's really passionate about. And exactly. Somebody's if, not. This, if this alliance rolls around in 2019 and the pandemic happens, the ACC would be in a really tough spot in this, in this so-called alliance to, okay, well, our leadership wants to play. 
These other schools don't, but we're you know, we're in this in this alliance. We got to figure out what this looks like and. Why did they need to do this right now? I mean, this feels a little bit like a panic move and, and just an answer to what the SEC is going to do. I'm not sure they had to come up with an answer. I don't think you're the wrong. Next I, month. Think, I think it is a direct reflection of the Texas and Oklahoma moves of people just being like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we got to. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this the part that everybody forgets. Let's say the SEC goes, no, thanks. We're full up, Texas and Oklahoma. We don't we don't want you guys. Mm-hmm. They would have joined the ACC. Probably. That's why it's a no-brainer for Greg Sankey and the 14 presidents, because it's not like Texas and Oklahoma are going to say, oh, okay, we'll just ride it out in the Big 12. That's fine. As soon as they came to him and said, we're thinking about leaving, we'd like to join, you have to take them or you fall behind in this process. It was absolute no-brainer. This Zoom meeting, why they had to have a Zoom meeting and not like two texts. Can we come <laughs> over and play? Yes. Let's get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's like this, I, 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 the, the predatory word is really interesting. And I think there is a sect of people who just don't believe Greg Sankey that he has this, like, he's going, and I, I, I believe him. I think it, like you're talking about, it's not like, I think for people who weren't tracking what was going on in the big 12 and, you know, I've talked to fans who haven't paid as attention as close attention in the summer and are kind of not sure where this Texas and Oklahoma thing is or where it happened. Well, for one, it is happening, but I think people didn't understand, Hey, they tried to make more money. The TV network said, no, we don't want to renegotiate your contract. And they said, okay, well, we want to go to the conference where we can do that. Yeah, and I don't want to go to the it, conference where the, where the network was throwing money at them exactly, during the pandemic, exactly. four years and before so, the deal started. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a situation where to say that X and Oklahoma forced Sankey's hand is probably not the best way to put it, but you know it's like I said when when Texas and Oklahoma knock on the door, you have to answer it, and if you want to call that predatory, I guess is that good for college football? I don't. I think would no. we all be agree that it, the answer to that is no. Correct. This exactly. none of this is good for college. Football. I agree that it's not good for college football, but Greg Sankey's job is not to advocate Correct. for college football. He doesn't, he so doesn't work for college football. Exactly. Yeah. And again, despite, despite what he pro- said, uh, well, and despite what he said on that call to announce what the playoff proposal was, where they're all like, we did this in the best interest of college. No, you didn't. Yeah. You did it in the best <laughs> interest of your own leagues. Yes. Okay. The, the PAC 12 and the big 12 and, and the other leagues, they wanted automatic bids. So that's why you did those. Mm-hmm. And the sec and the big 10 and Notre Dame wanted Lots of at-large spots, and that's why you did those. And that's okay. It's okay to admit that you worked in the best interest of your employer. <laughs> and so that's that's the that's the issue. I mean, we can talk for circles about how nobody's in charge of college football. This is, uh, uh, in many ways, a feature, not a bug of the sport. But I think it does make the sport worse in a lot of ways. And and so yeah, I, the I, the predatory thing when he's defending that, I, I buy what he said there. Um, and I think if you have been paying attention, it's hard to not see that as anything else. I don't think, you know, the, the Big 12 can be angry and they probably rightfully are at ESPN for all for sort of, uh, I'm sure, offering some assistance that did not help the Big well, 12. Are they, are they, but are they not angry at ESPN for saving their butts when the, the Pac-16 was going to happen? Well, it's a what have you done for me lately, lately business. Well, okay. <laughs> so, so what you did last 10 I years checked, ago, I, ESPN did bail them out on that one. Fair point, but Bowlesby also wasn't the commissioner when that happened, so he's he's dealing with what he's dealing with now. But no, I think that's uh, so they're frustrated. But I don't. But the idea that Greg Sankey is looking to undermine the Big Twelve is just not that doesn't really make sense. 
both logically or just in what happens. Um, you know, if you talk to enough, people, I hate to that, say it. This is going to sound callous. What went on? I just don't think he cares. Well, that too. He do, he. I he don't think it matters care. to him what happens he, to the Big Twelve. No, it's, his he job is to work care. for the That's, SEC. His job is not that. Yeah, I think again, if you had a commissioner of college football that was in charge, they probably say, no, 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 Texas and Oklahoma, y'all go back. Y'all are really screwing like eight. Because that this is the deal. The Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma, the quality of the football is not going to change all that much. It's still going to be a really fun league with some really good teams for now until recruiting becomes an issue over time. But financially, obviously, it makes a lot of sense for them to leave. And it's, it's uh, again, it comes down to this is not good for college football, but that's not his job. Hey, David, can, I, can been... I game this out? Can I date? Can I gain this out? Through, if do. there was a commissioner of college football quote, let's hear this. Okay. Remember Josh's statement about a standalone unit and the SEC being best in position to be that standalone unit. If it, if there's just a football league instead of the NCAA, you know, governing all the sports. Mm-hmm. If there's a standalone unit, if that happened, it probably would all kind of come under the umbrella of the SEC just because they have the best collection of, of brands right now and the other brands ultimately would join. Guess who the commissioner of college football would be? Mr. Greg Sankey. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't I everybody says, oh, there's just to be a, a commissioner of college play. football. Yeah. There would not be a commissioner of college football under the current arrangement where everybody's got their own fiefdoms. That only happens if you have a central organization. That, that governs it all, that governs the, the whole sport and, you know, sets divisions. It's a, it, would, it would be very much like the NFL, and everybody keeps telling me they don't want something like the NFL. It would be almost like an Although all empire. of those people watch the NFL and watch it more than they watch college football. Are we football. basically, you know, we're, we're talking about this. Is, the, is, is all of this sort of going back to, again, creating another NCAA and undoing the Supreme Court decision from, like, 1984 with Oklahoma. Like, we want to we have one media deal so everybody's not fighting over each other. If ESPN's going to well, own everything. But they do it much smarter than that. The, the, remember, the one media deal back in the day was we're going to control access because we don't want if, – if, if we put everybody on TV all the time, then we can't we sell any tickets. Yeah. And, and there would be there would be weeks when, like, you know, Penn State would play Ohio State. I'm, I'm making this up because Penn State wasn't in the Big Ten yet. Yeah. And like it wouldn't be on TV, but Appalachian State Watford would like <laughs> that. That's not what, what you want. Ultimately, if you want to make the most money on television is a single seller, but that all the games get sold, but they get parceled out so you can charge a higher price. I mean, th- there's a reason the NFL doesn't just make more money because it because more people watch it. It makes a lot more money because they get more per eyeball because mm-hmm. they say NBC, you can have this and Fox, you can have this and CBS, you can have this. Meanwhile, there's there in colleges, they're competing for those networks and the networks are competing for what they consider to be the best leagues. And it, it drives the price down. I know that I got into writing about college football so that I can talk about the television business. I love this. You talk about supply and demand. <laughs> this is my favorite thing. Uh, it is it's fantastic. The wonder and the pageantry of a board meeting with ESPN. <laughs> I love it. I've dreamed uh, of, of, of one day getting to imagine myself in that board meeting talking about uh, uh, football games as uh, a product and as uh, – Inventory. Uh, inventory for television networks. Uh, fantastic sport. Yeah, we have here. And well, yet, I've always been a this proponent. Is I've always enjoyed 
college football as sort of the headless chicken going around acting crazy and knocking <laughs> everything over. That's always been great. But I do think feature, you know, not a bug again. Yeah. I mean, the center cannot hold. I think it's all of it, it, it's starting to spin. You know, the wheels have been wobbly and it's kind of been a great, great wacky ride. But the wheels may be, you know, the wheels are getting wobblier. At some point they fly off and we're all in the ditch, except mm-hmm. for Greg Sankey and the SEC who are tooling down in 16 Bentleys down the road. It just means more, fellas. It just means more. Josh, about a month ago at The Athletic, uh, I believe our intrepid colleague, uh, Bill Landis, uh, pitched the idea of doing Recruiting Confidential, which was talking to a bunch of high school coaches inside a state line about what recruiting was like in that state. Uh, This week, myself and Joe Rexrode wrote about Tennessee Confidential, Josh, you wrote about South Carolina Confidential uh, last month. South Carolina is an interesting spot. We'll talk about Tennessee in a second. What did you take away from your conversations around the state? My biggest takeaway from my perspective, which is South Carolina beat writer, was that, boy, you either loved or hated Will Muschamp as the South Carolina head coach. There were some high school coaches in this state who he really clicked with because mm-hmm. it, it, Will would just honestly be delighted to call you up and talk about ball for 30 minutes. I mean, he would talk, he was just as interested in talking about what your guys ran Friday night and why it didn't work because of X, Y, and Z or did work because of X, Y, and Z as he was talk would be breaking down NFL film. And that clicked with a bunch of people. Some people it just flat didn't click with. He came across as aloof, as didn't give a crap, as a guy who was trying to recruit at an Alabama level at not Alabama and looked down his nose at little old South Carolina coaches. And so when you're in the state the size of South Carolina, you can't alienate 50% of the people. You can't survive that way. You got to get them all on board. And South Carolina was unable to do that. Mm-hmm. Under uh, his previous regime. Yeah. Andy, we've done so many of these, um, a bunch of different states. Uh, as you've been able to read some of these, and and uh, uh, first of all, if you guys have not read them uh, on our site at The Athletic, you should They're do spectacular. that. There we have Tennessee. We just ran Georgia. We've had Arizona, Florida, Texas, Michigan, California, Pennsylvania, Ohio, South Carolina. Alaska's coming, I promise you guys. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, Alaska will be right after Idaho, and we will have some really great Co- insight Coach there. A works in Barrow. Oh, wait, no, that gives <laughs> yeah. it away who it is. Yeah, so, Andy, we'll, we'll, as you've looked at this series from a whole, from an SEC perspective, anything jump out to you? Yeah, there's a lot of high school coaches who get – pretty upset when they don't have anybody that the coaches want. Yeah. And then that they, they is feel, always interesting. Like you could, you could sense that part of it. Cause I, I felt like reading all of these in the different States, it, it felt like the coaches who felt like they had players, those coaches were going after seemed like the coaches seemed to get a lot of attention from the coaches. And then the other ones for the most part didn't. Now I will say the best recruiters are the coaches that seem to call everybody mm-hmm. and maintain a relationship with everybody. Cause they know just in case there might be a guy next year or, or somebody might transfer. Exactly. Well, and that's the other thing you, you got to keep, keep these schools that are not superpower high schools 
you got to keep tabs on them because that's where the players who often are good at superpower high schools are freshmen and sophomores. So you can get in on them early. So you you got to know those guys. And let's not shed a tear. I certainly never will for these these coaches in the with the salaries that they make right now. But think about that for a minute. I'm thinking about it on a South Carolina scale in a state this size. Think about it in Texas. Think about it in oh, California. It's ridiculous how many people mm-hmm. you get to talk to. You have to, to stay in touch with all of these guys, the sort of discipline and whatever mental fortitude it takes on a Tuesday when – you know, you'd rather be doing whatever else to say, no, I've got to call Joe Bob Cooter at South, um, you know, Podunk High. Joe Bob Cooter. Him. Is he is Jim Bob Cooter's brother? Cousin, <laughs> distant cousin. Yeah, distant cousin. Okay. South the Carolina. Bayou, yeah. And, and I got to talk and, and he's going to keep me on the phone for 30 minutes, but I have to do that because in six years, he might have a guard I need. There is, listen, right. there are so many aspects of being a college football coach that sound like my personal nightmare that I really can't, I can't imagine like doing a lot of this. But I think that, now th- that, that one, that one we can identify with those reporters because you, you know, you have those people you deal with mm-hmm. who give you information and, and like once every two years, they tell you something useful. Mm-hmm. But like, you got to pick up when they call. Yeah. And you got to, yeah. you got to have that conversation. Yeah. If I'm a college coach, if, could I hire somebody? I mean, you, you, you have all these support staff. Could I hire somebody who could imitate my voice well enough that that's all his job is? <laughs> Matt Stinchcomb. Matt yes. Stinchcomb does, does Mac Brown. He does Spurrier. He does Kirby. He does Muschamp. So he you hire this guy and you give him a list and you say, all your job is is to stay in touch with these 50 high schools and BS these guys and make it make, make it. Make them believe they're talking to me. And then when they do this have a player, incredible idea. You I'll need to sell this in. to college coaches. <laughs> I really do. I wish if you I could create do voices, a, I'd start sending a Josh out. Josh Kendall soundboard and just call I'd, everyone. <laughs> I'd start sending out resumes right now. <laughs> I think so. Uh, the one thing that I take away from these big picture that's really interesting to me is the high school coaches perspective is really, really interesting because they see it every year. They see I don't want to say who these coaches really are. That's sort of like more sinister than I mean, but they get a good feel for who these coaches are over time. But the one thing that I think is interesting is the coaches aren't the people making the decisions and their opinions matter, but they're not the end all be all. And that part of it is really interesting to me because you want to have coaches on your side that can help you, but you don't close with the high school coach. You don't win recruiting battles with the high school coach. And it's all, it was interesting to me coaches that, you know, like, Jeremy Pruitt, for instance, on our Tennessee confidential, he was a really good recruiter. I mean, granted, he seemed to have some uh, uh, recruiting PEDs, I suppose, uh, as many do. <laughs> but uh, but the coaches were a little rankled at some of them. He, they felt like he you know, didn't really want to get to know them personally. He was just like, well, who do you got? What's this guy? And, and kind of did look down on Tennessee a little bit. I mean, they were not very impressed with the last in-state class of, of Tennessee. I, here's, here's one thing. And, and I mean, look, high school coaches understand this. Not all football coaches are nice. Like, Wait, really? They, they don't all have the personality where they can sit there and BS yeah, with you for true. 30 minutes. They it's just very don't. True. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Steve Spurrier stories in my story were, were my favorite part. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that he's a prime example. He's he's interested, but that he's not a small talker. Yeah. Herb Meyer's not a small talker. Mm-hmm. 
Ellis Johnson, who is one of the great college assistants in SEC history and a really underrated well, the, the coach. Be, the general. best recruiter of the state of South Carolina in the right. history of the world, probably. One, one of the best recruiters I've known. One of the things he said to me that, that struck a chord, not for this story, but just we're on recruiting. He said, he said you have to identify the decision maker early on mm-hmm. in the process. And for Jadavian Clowney, who Ellis got out of Rock Hill, it was his granddad. And if you can, those, the guys who can really recruit can cut. And sometimes it is the high school coach. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a seven on seven guy. Sometimes it's mama. Sometimes it's his cousin who played at wherever you got to identify that person early and you got to get them. It's it's a hundred percent true. I remember having that conversation with, uh, with Wes McGriff, who's at, at, at Florida now, but he was, he's been at a bunch of different schools and he, he had note cards. And he had it written down, like who the, mm-hmm. I think he called him their champion, but basically who the decision maker is, and this is who you're going to stay on. This is who you're going to call. And I remember, I remember talking to Charlie Strong about this when he was at Texas, because in the Mac Brown era at Texas, you really, you could still kind of go through the high school coach. But once Charlie got there, by that time, you're talking about 2014, you, it was just like anywhere else. You had to find their trainer. You had to find maybe it was a seven on seven coach. Maybe it was somebody else in the community or, or a mom or a a different relative, but you had to figure that out. And that I think changed the dynamics in Texas quite a bit. Jimbo Fisher came in immediately just recruited like he had at Florida state because at Florida state, you had to recruit Florida, which is the wild, you know, one of the wilder places to recruit in America. So I think that helped Jimbo when he got there because other people who'd worked the state were looking at it like the old rules applied. And, and Jimbo's like, I'm just going to go find their trainer, find whoever it is, and yeah. we'll figure it out. Andy, I did. Uh, I should ask you this. I, I'm not a recruit, Nick, but I am around recruiting. Somebody, I was talking to somebody about the Florida transfer rules. Is it true you can just transfer whatever you want, whenever you want in Florida at high school? It's true everywhere, isn't it? It's yeah. not. It's yeah. unofficial. It's, I mean, it's not true in a lot of places. Yeah, it's it's now. It's true in the in the athletic, the FHSAA. You can mm-hmm. do that. Like, if I wanted to send my kid to a high school he's not zoned for, I'd have to get him into a magnet program. But the thing is, like, if the foot that they wanted him to play football, they'd get him in the magnet program, yeah. Yeah. so that he could play football. Okay. Well, I, I think the, the one thing that I thought was really interesting just in general, and, and coaches didn't really bring this up, which kind of surprised me, but I, when I talked to players and when I would do stories on recruits, a lot of them appreciated Jeremy Pruitt's honesty in, I care about you, I am going to advocate for you, but also let's be real about what this is. This is a transactional relationship. I need to use you to win games to keep my job. You need to use me to get to the next level. He would be pretty explicit about that with guys. And with some guys, it's going to resonate. And with some guys, it's going to feel a little cold, I guess. Um, even if I was it's say, that's realistic. like a colder version of the Saban one. Remember yeah. when the, the recruit leaked the, the Saban pitch from a Zoom call earlier this year? Like, yes, that was really compelling. Yeah. Like the Jared, what, what you just described is like that if you did, if you had no social skills, basically. Because mm. what are you saying, Andy? Because <laughs> what Saban, what Saban yeah. says is you can come here or not. We're going to find somebody just as good, but we like you and we'll give you a chance to compete. And if you work really, really hard, you can be a first rounder like some of these other guys who are here. Mm-hmm. That's all he says. That's his whole pitch. 
And some guys like that. And it's going to work for a lot of people. I mean, well, it, I, I remember talking to, to Jonathan Allen. He loved that pitch because everybody else was just slobbering all over him. Mm-hmm. And he got that made him very uncomfortable. And there's a lot of people like that. They don't want to be excessively praised. They just want to hear honesty. And so yeah. he, he appreciated th- that. And, and that's why he went to Alabama. Do you think that some of the secret sauce of Alabama is that approach and not having to go through the infamous D recruitment process when you get on campus? Do you think that how, – how big of a factor do you think that is in Alabama's consistency and excellence? It's got to help, right? Because I, I mean, I, I just I think it's a factor, yeah. But I mean, I think that ninety-eight percent of the factor is, you know, you just get the biggest studs, and they're the easiest guys to coach. Uh, you might have some, but, but, but I think Alabama's become a self-selecting sample because there are five stars Alabama won't touch, Very because true. they don't feel like mentally they're they would fit in with the other guys. Or there's the fake five star, which is very real. That's true, mm-hmm. and they seem to be pretty good at sniffing those out. <laughs> well, you've—I mean, if you're Alabama, you've created a monster where everybody comes to you, like the SEC. You know, Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. come point. to you. If you're Alabama, the five stars come to you. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see. That's one thing that we didn't really talk about with the sort of SEC factor of, you know, when the transfer portal came and, and everybody likes the idea of, of immediate eligibility, but the G five coaches are, I don't know the right word. I, I think they are understanding, but a little bit scared and a little bit frustrated that, Hey, this guy might blow up at our school for two years and then go somewhere else. And I wonder with the transfer portal with immediate eligibility, will we see an influx of guys that have success at you know, NC state or Oregon state and say coastal hey, Carolina, which yeah. has a great quarterback right now in Grayson McCall, who mm-hmm. I'm shocked is still there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how often we'll see that if, if this break off comes and the sec becomes truly on another level of college football, how frequent that will be. I have to assume it would be a lot, but well, I mean, almost five is going to, going to be a farm team level for, for the, the SEC and the Big Ten and, and those mm-hmm. schools. That, but you that almost was happen. you almost shrink the pool of teams who could realistically poach from G five too, because you know six months ago could Baylor have gone and poached a G five guy, and now you go to that same G five guy and they say you know frankly coach you're g5 now too why would i make that move i mean when you well, consi- that, that, i didn't think about it that way but you're right if you're if you're at ucf and i saw the artist rendering of what they're building and you're a football player and you're floating in that lazy river mm-hmm. and and you have somebody from even somebody from the lower end of the pack 12 calls you you're like right you're looking around you're like nah i'm good <laughs> you're yeah I think that transfer portal too. You're G5 now too, buddy. Welcome to the club. I think the transfer portal was one of the things that the coaches in Tennessee brought up. Uh, I think we had multiple coaches bring this up in that, you know, part of this might just be this year with COVID and and we'll see. But with coaches, you know, when, when 130 different coaches are saving five spots for the transfer portal, those are five scholarships that aren't going to high school kids. And that adds up. That's what... 500 and right. 650 that, that, that increases the pool for for you as the g5 coach as the the fcs coach you're going to be able to find more talented players now they're going to get taken from you in a year yes. or two but 
just understand. But here's the other thing. And this is if you're a smart G5 coach or a smart FCS coach, you're looking at it this way. If everybody keeps stealing your players, somebody's about to steal you too. That's a good point. That's a good point. But I think they were the, the high school coaches were complaining that it's harder for kids to get scholarships. And that was an interesting side effect of the transfer. That's, a, that's just the math of this year, though. That's that's yeah, that's, that's part of it. That's part of it. And it will be it'll be interesting to see if they expand the scholarship limit, which which I think may be happening very, very soon. But they're gonna I, expand the 25. They're not gonna expand yeah. the 85. But the thing is no, the 25 will change. Once once this blanket eligibility waiver thing runs its course through the next four years, the math will will go back to what it was. Mm-hmm. The same number of scholarships will be available. So it just, the question is who's going to get them mm-hmm. and where do you go first? Well, it seems like coaches want to go to the transfer portal first, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, guys, it's been a good episode. I've enjoyed chatting. We've had a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, we'll see if we get an empire strikes back chapter of, uh, of the next uh, as college football turns. We'll be here to talk about it. Every Monday, Football and Grits, myself, Andy Staples, Josh Kendall, thank you for joining us, uh, for gracing us with your presence and uh, giving us some insight into your time with uh, with Greg Sankey. Any parting words for us? Uh, Just always happy to be here anytime. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening again. Subscribe uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of those things. Uh, and you can get it directed or delivered directly to your device. Thank you for listening. This has been Football and Grits on the Andy Staples and Friends feed. For Andy Staples, we are his friends. We'll see you guys again next week.